Turn please to the book of Luke, the 16th chapter. We began a series a few weeks ago called One Master, One Master. And uh, we want to continue in that tonight. I want you to believe with me, please. Let's believe together here and in Branson and over the internet. Let's release our faith. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we all come together putting our faith together and asking together and touching this together for utterance. Utterance that is not the words of men, but your words, holy and pure and life, true and good. We ask for the manifesting and moving of your spirit and your holy angels. We ask for your presence manifest in us, around us, upon us. Give us ears to hear it, eyes to see it, a heart and a mind to receive it. And we purpose by your grace to not be hearers only or forgetful hearers, but to put it into practice, live it, do it. And we know when we do, we'll see miracles and we'll experience blessings and increase because you always watch over your word and perform it in the lives of those who do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen means so be it. Somebody say, be it unto me according to your word, Lord. In Luke, the 16th chapter, Luke 16 and 10, the Lord said, he that's faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that's unjust in the least is unjust in much. If therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Why would that be true? Because one's getting in the way of the other. It's going to annoy you. It's going to irritate you. And you'll have to choose one. You can't serve. You can't have two masters. You can't serve two lords. Jesus said so. It's got to be true. You And here he mentions specifically, you cannot serve God and Mammon. Now, mammon is money personified. It represents money and what money can buy. So, money and stuff personified, actually, money and stuff deified. Money as a god. Money can make a great servant. But it's an evil master. And it's a lousy God. Why would Jesus say this? Do you suppose there were some people who were serving money and things? Do you reckon anybody today is serving money and things? More than and instead of the one true God. Oh friend, it's a big issue. It's a big issue. He went on to say, 
uh, skip down to the 14th verse. The Pharisees who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. Now the Pharisees were the, the scriptorians. They were the preachers. They were the leaders in the synagogue. Some of them. And they were what? Covetous. So why'd they get upset when Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon? Why this bugged them so much? They got worked up about it and they derided him. That means they spoke slanderously and disrespectfully and, and rebelliously back at him. Why? Because he's talking to them. He's talking to them. When light comes and it doesn't make you look good, <laughs> you'll do one of two things. You'll either harden yourself and resist it. Or you'll humble yourself. And repent. Hallelujah. So they were covetous. Go with me to the 12th chapter please. Luke chapter 12. Chapter 12. And verse 15. This is the story that the man came. And pretty much told Jesus. To tell Somebody to do something with him concerning money. And Jesus, among other things, said this to him. He said, take heed. We might say today, watch out. And beware of covetousness. If Jesus says, watch out for something, should we be on our guard about it? Why would he say, watch out for it? Because it's dangerous. There are things that are are dangerous to us spiritually. We're going to see that more tonight. There are spiritual things that we ought to treat like a rattlesnake in the bed. I understand you don't go, yeah, there may be a rattlesnake in the bed. No big deal. Turn the light out. <laughs> uh-uh. No. No. Yeah, that drink may be half poison. But that's all right. Pass it down here. No, there are some things that if you got any smarts and awareness, you don't mess with it. Because you know it poses a serious threat to you. It can harm you. It can destroy you. And this is one of them. I said, this is one of them. Jesus said it's one of them. He said, watch out. Beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. We, we've already gone into quite a bit of detail about Jesus' statement here. And how that uh, he's a good God. And he's a God who meets all your needs. And will even give you things richly to enjoy. But how you're doing financially and materially does not tell you what kind of life you're having. Because you can have a lot of money and stuff and be having a miserable life and be doing poorly. Your life, Jesus said, is not made up of all the stuff you have. That doesn't tell you what kind of life. Because you're not just a material being. You're a spirit being. And what's most important in life is what's happening on the inside, not what's happening on the outside. I didn't say it didn't matter, 
but it's not most important. You and I cannot be fulfilled and satisfied with external things only. I don't care. You could have a million dollar car. You could have 12 mansions. You could have everything in the world, billions of dollars. And as much as that might be, it cannot save your soul. It cannot give you peace and joy. It can't. Don't let somebody tell you it can. It can't because it's natural. It can't give you something spiritual because it's not spiritual. Come on. Can you see this, friends? That's why Jesus said this, and he said, watch out, because covetousness, as Colossians 3, 5 says, is idolatry. And it is trying to fill a spiritual void with a material thing. It is trying to bring yourself comfort and satisfaction and fulfillment through the car, through the jewelry, through the clothes, through the position, through the going to the nice shops or the nice restaurants. Or the list goes on and on and on. And while if things were right and your relationship was right in God, you could enjoy some of those things. How many understand you can't even enjoy a new car unless you're right with God on the inside? You can't. Not like it should be. Not like it could be. And it's the great error of trying to satisfy spiritual needs and desires with natural things. It can't be done. There's a list of addictions, yay long, that people are embroiled in trying to do it. You can't satisfy spiritual longing with a drug. Impossible. You can put yourself in a state of delirium. In an altered state of mind. But when you come to yourself. You're more miserable than ever. Because it didn't work. And now you got all these gnawings and cravings in your body. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's death. It's destruction. And it's what the Lord says. I'm, I'm just using different examples. To talk about why he said. Beware. Watch out. For covetousness. Because that's not what makes up your life. Now, uh, go with me to 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. 2 Corinthians. Now, covetousness, you'll see this term and this idea numerous times in the Bible. But I learned something beginning of this series that I did not know. I, maybe I'd seen it before, but I didn't notice it, put the emphasis on it that I should have. That the same word that's translated covetousness carries the idea and meaning of extortion and fraud and defrauding. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, what? how does that work? And then I saw, I'm going to go ahead and give you the phrase the Lord gave me. And then we'll talk about it some more. Coveting something is wanting it, longing for it, eager for it. And again and again it has to do with something you shouldn't have. You can covet something good. 
How many remember the Bible said, covet earnestly the best gifts of the Spirit? That means you, it doesn't just mean you're, you're, you have a casual attitude about, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have. No, no. Covet means you think about it. You long for it. You yearn for it. And yet the Bible warns us, don't covet your neighbor's donkey or cow or spouse or money or land or how. Don't covet something that belongs to somebody else. And don't covet something you shouldn't have. So how can that word that's translated meaning yearning and eager to get and longing for, how can that mean uh, extortion and, and fraud? Again, I can't say I thought this up. The Lord gave me this. If you want it too much, you'll go too far. Everybody know what I mean by that? If you want something too much, you will go too far to get it. Including lying, fraud, extortion, right? Compromising your morals, your standards, what you know to be right and wrong. And what would push you to do that? Wanting it too much. You want it too much. If you want it too much, you'll go too far. And can we keep coming back to this? What the Lord said, watch out for this covetousness. Why? Because it's not money and things and houses and jewelry and land. Well, it's not the problem. Never has been. Hmm? A nice house is better than a lousy house. Good stuff is better than bad stuff. That's not the problem. The problem is loving it. Idolizing it. Seeking it. Serving it. That's the problem. That's why the Bible said the love of money. Not money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You with me so far? Second Corinthians, the second chapter. Something I'm excited about tonight, too. He is, I'm so excited about him. (laughs) He is in this series, you, me, all of us. And how many with technology, somebody could be listening to this in Germany five years from now. So you and I have a part in believing for this to come out right. Because we're here while it's happening. He is taking off. How can I say? He's unmasking the devil for us. In this series. Showing us his nature and how he operates. Do you suppose that could be useful, valuable information? I can see it. And as we go further, I believe you will too. You see it right here in this passage, 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Let's just start in 11.1. He said, would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Now I know that sounds strange 
to some folks, but it shouldn't. The Bible said way back in the beginning, God is a jealous God. And you know, it has to be that way if he cares about you enough. If he cares about us enough, he's not just going to be unaffected and nonchalant if we're adulterous with false gods. Any more than you love somebody and they take other partners beside you and you're like, no big deal. You are going to care. If you care about them, you are going to care. He said, I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Can you see any parallels? How many husbands? How many masters? One. How many lords do you have? How many masters do you have? You're part of the bride of Christ. How many husbands do you have? Spiritually, one, one, one. Verse three. He said, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This is what I was referring to. We have a glimpse into what happened with Eve in the beginning. And we have an insight into how the enemy operates. And he's still doing this today because it works. It's working on people. He doesn't need to change. Same thing he did with Eve, he's doing with millions, including Christians. And he warns us about it. He said, I'm concerned. Paul is talking to the saints at the church there in Corinth. He said, I'm concerned about you. Lest your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now skip on down to about verse 11. This is all part of the same chapter. Verse, uh, verse 12, let me read that. He said, what I do that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Is everybody listening to that one? Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers. God has ministers. I'm one of them. Did you know Satan has ministers? Did you know that? His ministers, it's no great thing if his ministers be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now with that in mind, look back at the second chapter. 2.11, he makes this statement. 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, 
for we're not ignorant of his devices. All this flows together. The enemy was doing some things at the church there at Corinth and the Spirit of God through Paul is unmasking it and showing them what's happening and helping them to get out of it and resist it and get free from it. This word, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, here's the interesting thing. It's the same word translated covetousness. Don't you think that's interesting? What does that mean? It's also translated defraud. Same word. How can it be the same word? Covetousness, defraud, get an advantage of. Let me read some other translations of this to you. The Amplified says, to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, For we're not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. The complete Jewish Bible says it like this, the CJB. So that we will not be taken advantage of by the adversary. For we're quite aware of his schemes. Paul was, by the Spirit of God, aware of his schemes. And if they'd listened to him, now they would be too. But how would the enemy... Get an advantage over people of God, child of God. We need to know this. Is he writing to Christians? The saints at the church of Corinth, certainly. We're part of the same church. Born again, got the same gospel, got the same Holy Spirit. You could translate it like this. To keep Satan from defrauding us. To keep Satan from defrauding us. Let me give you some definitions of defraud and and fraud. Defraud means, and this is an English definition, to deprive of something by deception. The enemy is a defeated foe because of what Jesus has done. You believe that? He doesn't have the power spiritually to come in and destroy us. But he does have the power of deception. And if he can deceive you or me, he will deprive us of what should be, what is ours and what we should be enjoying. And he's doing this by the millions in the earth. Deceived and deprived. He is the original con man. Do you know what I mean by that? The wolf in sheep's clothing. The thief who comes in as an angel of light. He presents himself as a godsend. Answer to your prayers and needs. And the truth is, he's going to take you for everything you've got. That's him. Is there a real being called Satan and and the devil? There is. And he has those that are with him and under him. These are real beings. This is not a fairy tale. And it's not some Hollywood monster. Don't watch that junk. It'll just confuse you. 
And it's designed, it's written by people who haven't got a clue what they're talking about. And because of it, the enemy is able to inspire them with stuff to scare people. But the Bible says, when we resist the devil, what has to happen? Flee means to run from. (laughs) Right? He must not be that big a monster where we're concerned. No, don't believe the Hollywood version of the devil. Don't watch that junk. I'm telling you. It's lies. It's deception. It's inspired by the enemy. What do you think he's going to... You think he's going to inspire a movie that portrays him under your feet? (laughs) Defeated and stripped? No. You're never going to see that movie. Fraud is the intentional perversion of truth in order to induce another to part with something of value or to surrender a legal right. And a fraud is a person who is not what he or she pretends to be. Is the devil a deceiver? He's the deceiver. But he knows, even though we had not been around very long, as spiritual beings and entities in the universe, we are, there's a reason why the Bible refers to us as little children. It's not a figure of speech. We've been around that long and know about that much. He's been around a long time. He's been manipulating human beings for millennia. He's good at it. But we have an advantage. I said we have an advantage. He's called the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. Revealing to us. Alerting us. Bringing all things to our remembrance. Guiding us into all the truth. Even showing us things to come. So what's this advantage that he's talking about with the devil? Why would this word be, get an advantage, be the same word translated defraud? Because that's how he operates. Think about what happened with Eve. The chapter mentioned her specifically. The Bible said Eve was deceived. Adam's sin in some ways was, you could say, greater. He knew better. He wasn't just deceived. How did he trick Eve? First of all, you got to understand, these are not ape-looking humanoids grunting in a cave. Ugh. Ugh, ugh. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? Well, how do you explain this or this or that? Listen, there's a whole lot of stuff happened. In the countless eons before we have any history. That we don't know anything about. But the Genesis account is true. It's true. And one day all the so-called experts who disagree with it will find that out. For some it may be too late. But notice what happened. The enemy is there. At the tree, Adam and Eve are there at the tree. God has told them very plainly, don't eat of the tree. 
In the day you do, you'll die. He's never told them anything wrong. There's no reason for them to doubt him. But the enemy is there. And the Bible said he beguiled her. What does that mean? He didn't say, eat it. Eat it. (laughs) I'm going to make you eat it. He couldn't. So many similarities with our situation today. He can't make us do anything. He's not all he cracks himself up to be. (laughs) And he ain't what he used to be. (laughs) How many believe the Bible? He's been stripped. He's been spoiled. He's been brought to naught. That means nothing. Well, why and how is he still doing everything he's doing? That's what we're talking about. He is the best con man there's ever been. Anybody that was ever successful running a con learned it from him. And notice what he's doing. He convinced Eve she needs this. He convinced her. He sold her. That this is good. It's beautiful. It will make you wise. You will have knowledge like God. Well, they're already made in the image and likeness of God. They already operate, they're communing with him on a regular basis. God's talking to them and they understand it. But is the devil trying to give them anything? What's he trying to do? He is setting them up. What does it mean to defraud? To deprive of something by deception. He wants what they have. He wants their place of authority in the earth. He wants them to serve him. He doesn't care about them. He would never lift a finger to do anything for them. And yet, how does he come, how does he get it done? By selling it as something you want and you need until she is looking at this fruit and coveting it. She's yearning for it. She's looking at it and he's selling her on it. Look at that. How can anything that beautiful be bad? And how can more knowledge be bad? To have more understanding than you've ever had. To have more knowledge than you've ever had. How can that be bad? He sold her. He convinced her. He beguiled her, and as he fed it to her, covetousness grew in her. She wants it. Come on, can you see this? She wants it until she overrode what God told her and took it. Do you see what we're talking about, friends? Just knowing that puts you at an advantage. Why? Because covetousness gives the devil the advantage in your life or mine or any human beings. It is the hook he used to get her to cross the line. Because if you want it too much, did she go too far? If you want it too much, you'll go too far. 
The only way it can work on you is if you want it. Go to James, please. Go to James, the first chapter. Say it out loud while you're turning over there. Money is not my God. Stuff is not my God. I have one master. I have one Lord. I don't want anything or anybody more than I want him. Now, the great news about this is if that's true, it puts you in a place where Satan can't get the advantage over you. He can't leverage it because it's not there. He can't use your desire against you because you refuse to have a desire for anything that's greater than your desire for him. Now, you're a human being. You got flesh. You got desires. And there'll be some desires that you shouldn't have. Because your flesh didn't get born again. (laughs) You got exactly the same flesh that Joe Sinner down the road's got. Exactly the same. And your flesh will do anything you let it do. I said yours. You can't trust your flesh any further than you can throw it. Are y'all with me? You understand what I'm talking about? Yours. Don't say, oh, no, Brother Keith, I've been sanctified. Your flesh will do anything you let it do. It'll be a drunk. It'll be a drug addict. It'll be an adulterer. Come on, are you listening to me? Your flesh and mine. Anything. How many remember Paul said, I keep under my body. And I bring it under subjection. Here's a man. He's had multiple visitations by the head of the church. God used him to pen big part of the New Testament. And he says, didn't say I put it under. He said, I keep it under control. Lest when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, even after all the preaching and stuff I've done, I could still wind up on the reject pile. Why? Because of your flesh. Because of yielding to wrong desires. Because of wanting something you shouldn't want more than you want the Lord. More than you want His will and His plan for your life. Sit out loud. There's nothing I desire more than my Lord. He is my master. He is my life. Hallelujah. I love Him and want Him. Above all. all. Glory to God. And just saying that. Is a big step. Toward it being that way. Now. uh, James describes. How this happens. James 1. Verse 13. James 1. 13 says. Let no man say. When he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Anytime you see in the Bible where it says, don't say this, you can be sure there's a lot of people saying it. (laughs) Why would the Lord deal with it if it was a non-issue? Why would you say that, Brother Keith? Some have substituted another word for tempt. Test. Test. God's not tempting. He's not testing. He's not trying Anybody with anything bad. 
Evil means bad. You believe that or not? Well, you believe different than a lot of churches. Because <laughs> they'll tell you that all kinds of terrible things coming into people's lives is God testing them. You know a lot of people believe that. But God, let, don't let anybody say, when you're tempted, tested, or tried, God's trying me. God's testing me. God's tempting me. Tempting you to do something wrong? Never. Never. Tempting you to give up and quit? Tempting you to be disobedient? No, never. Why? Because God cannot be tempted with evil. You can't tempt God with something bad. That's good to know about him. (laughs) You can't. And neither does he tempt any man. And then he describes how it happens when you and I are tempted. Next verse. Every man. So this is not just a few of us. This is true with every one of us. Is tempted when what happens? When you're drawn away of his own lust. That's not God. That's not the devil. That's not your brother, sister, mother. That's you. (laughs) Lust means desire. Strong desire. You're wanting something. And that is the hook that the enemy uses to his advantage. Come on, can you see this? Friend, this is revelation. This is truth making you free. Revelation. If we get this and practice it. How could the devil get an advantage over you? Same way he got an advantage over Eve. He enticed that is him but he can't entice you unless there's something to entice the desire is yours he said well what do I do I got got this desire well welcome to the human race don't let anybody tell you that they never have to deal with any wrong desires I don't care who they are it's just not true Oh, Brother Keith, I did. I had an experience and I got sanctified and I've never had it. You're lying. There is no such thing as getting to a place where you can't be tempted anymore in this lifetime. I don't care who said it. Jesus himself was tempted, right? In all points, just like us, yet without sin, proving no matter how you're tempted, you don't have to yield to it. You don't have to give in to it. But the problem is not the devil. It's not the sin. Jesus has already paid the price for sin. What's the problem? Problem is your desire. Your desire. So what do I do about it, Brother Keith? You starve it. Somebody say starve it. Help me out. What do you do with the wrong desire? Let me say it like this. Don't feed it. Don't don't feed it. Don't feed it. What will happen if you feed it? It will get bigger and it will get stronger. (laughs) And I got to tell you my cat story. And cat people don't write me any letters. I'm not against cats. But if there's a stray cat. 
And he comes to your house. And he looks up at your door. Meow. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> if you don't want a cat. Tell me what. Tell me what. <laughs> See everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. But if you say. No kitty. You can't stay. You cannot stay. I don't have room for you. I'm not supposed to have a cat here. No, you can't. But here are two cans of gourmet cat food. Enjoy. But you cannot stay. You cannot stay. How about tomorrow? Meow. 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 You say, no, kitty, no. No, like I told you yesterday, no. You cannot stay. You cannot stay. But here are three cans of gourmet cat food. And then you have to go. You, you eat this and go. Tell me about tomorrow. <laughs> Tell me about the next day. Meow. Meow. And you keep doing that in two months. You'll have a 20-pound cat sitting on your chest. And you'll be going, no, kitty, no, I don't want a kitty. I don't want a cat. I don't want a cat. Here's another can. Here's another can. I know it sounds like a silly illustration. But this is how wrong desires become controlling in people's lives. It started out as a strong desire, but if you feed it, it will grow. And it'll get stronger and stronger until you think about it night and day. And it's just oppressive. Come on, are you listening? And it's your fault. It's your, don't blame the devil. It's your fault. Cause you fed it. You fed it. You watched stuff. You listened to stuff. You read stuff. You talked about it. And it fueled the desire. Oh, but the good news is, I don't care how big it is. You quit feeding him. <laughs> I said, you quit feeding, just cut it off. Oh, you'll hear some racket for a while, won't you? Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> but eventually, he'll have to go somewhere else to get something to eat because you're not going to feed. And no matter, if you've had a tormenting desire that just was on your mind night and day, realize you may as well, something's just wrong with me. All human beings are the same way. You can get rid of it though. If you'll starve it, if you'll quit feeding it, it'll get weak. I don't mean it'll all be over necessarily by the next day, but it'll get a little weaker. And it'll get a little weaker if you'll cut off the stuff that's feeding it. And eventually you'll be able to go an hour or two and not think about it. And eventually you'll be able to go a day or two. What's happening? It's getting weaker. If you know it's not something you should long for, quit feeding it. Cut it off. You're not supposed to think about having someone else's spouse. You know that's wrong. So what's the wise thing to do? Don't let yourself think about it or talk about it or imagine. Why? Because that's feeding it. And if you feed it, it's going to get stronger. You're not supposed to steal that money. You're not supposed to tell that lie. But what's the problem? If you want it too much, what will happen? You'll be willing 
to compromise what you know is right. You'll cross the line. You'll go too far. And that's because the enemy had an advantage over you. And the advantage, even though he's been defeated, the advantage is his defrauding through one's own covetousness. How many want to take away any advantage the enemy might have over you? You can do it. I said, you can do it. We can do it. Hallelujah. So lift up a hand, say it out loud. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me out of all the power of darkness, translating me into the kingdom of your dear son. Hallelujah. No one can make me do something I don't choose to do. The enemy can't, you know, of course the comedian years ago popularized the phrase, the devil made me do it. Not true. The devil cannot. Did you hear that word, friends? He cannot make you do anything. Because he has been stripped. He has been defeated. But if you want something, and you're willing to look at it and think about it and talk about it, just like Eve out there at the tree, he'll feed it. He'll entice it. And when he does, it'll get stronger and he's got something over you now. And keep reading the rest of that that phrase there. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. What happens next? Verse 15. When lust has conceived, when it gets strong enough, you're going to act on it. It might take it years to get to that place. But when it gets strong enough, you're going to do more than think. You're going to act on it because you want it so much. If you want it too much, you're willing to go too far. It brings forth sin. Sin is violation of light. It's doing something you know is not right. And sin, when it's finished, what happens? It brings forth death. The Lord doesn't tell us not to sin because he wants to spoil our fun. Sin kills you. Doesn't just mean you fall dead physically necessarily, but it kills something in you. It kills a part of your soul, a part of your mind, a part of your emotions, a part of your life, a part of your family, your relationship. Something's going to die. And God would spare us from that. Wouldn't he? He would spare us from that pain. Thanks be unto God. Jesus has overcome it all. And in him, we can be strong. In him, we can resist it. Can you say amen? Go with me to the book of Mark and the uh, the fourth chapter. Jesus talking about the sower sowing the word, the seed, and the seed is the word. And he mentions something that if it wasn't here, I almost wouldn't believe it. But it is. So uh, we have to believe it. In Mark 4... In talking about, he mentions four types of ground, which are four types of people. Wayside ground, stony ground, thorny ground, good ground. And these four types of ground represent all peoples. And did you notice only one of those four types got any results from the word in their life? Hmm? The other three got no harvest, got no results from hearing the same word. 
that brought 30, 60, 100 fold in that person's life. Notice what he said here in Mark 4, 19. Well, verse 18. These are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word. And what do these thorns represent? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Do you see this trickiness? This deceptiveness of riches. What's what's the lie? The lie is this is going to make you happy. This is going to fulfill you. This is what you need. And the enemy is trying to con you. Because he's not wanting to give you anything. He's wanting to take what you have. And he can't do it unless he can sell you on it. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. And the lusts of other things. Entering in. Do what? That's the part I said I almost wouldn't believe. You tell me. There's something that can choke the word of God. Out of my life. The incorruptible seed. Of the word of almighty God. Yes. And it's the same thing we've been talking about all night. Because you can't serve two masters. How many understand? I mean, I got any gardeners in here? What if the thorns and the weeds are taking up all your sunlight, getting all your water, getting all your nutrients out of your ground? What's going to happen to your other stuff, to your vegetables and your good stuff? It's not going to make it. Can't have two masters. You you can't have it all going to one without it affecting the other. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things entering in and do what? Choke the word word and it becomes unfruitful. It, It is sad. I've been in ministry long enough to see it. There's a lot of people that have come to church. God drew them. It was a God connection. They were supposed to be in a place with other believers. They were supposed to serve. And God blessed them. And they began to come out and begin to get in better shape. And they got a little more money and a little more stuff. And then they became too important. And their time became too important. And they no longer had time for church. And no longer had time to pray. And they no longer had time to read their chapter. And all the word that they had gotten and that had been producing results in their life, their new, stronger desires for this, for that, for the other, choked it out. And they're no longer in church. They no longer spend any time with God. I'm talking about genuinely born again, genuinely filled with the Spirit. Why? The enemy has deceived them, just like he did Eve. He has defrauded them. He's deprived them of what they should have. They should be doing things that's accruing rewards to them for the next life. They should be being prepared for a place of authority to rule and reign with the master throughout the ages to come. They're being robbed. They're being defrauded and don't even realize it. 
because other things became too important and has choked out the word. Somebody say, by the grace of God, not me. In Luke 8.14 it says a similar thing. Luke's account of the same thing. They which fell among thorns are they. Which when they have heard. They go forth. So, so get the picture now. These are Christians. They heard the word. The word got in them. It put roots down. It began to spring up. It's living. It's growing. It's developing. They're making progress. But. They started feeding other things. The thorns begin to get more of the light and the water and the nutrition. What do the thorns represent? Desires for other things. Other than God, more than God. Choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And what happens? Even though they got off to a wonderful start, it does not finish. They bring no fruit to perfection. If it chokes the word out of you, it chokes the light out of you. And that's when you get dumb (laughs) and start doing stupid stuff. I didn't call anybody's name. (laughs) But if you don't have the word in you and you don't have light in you, You're in darkness. You're going to do stupid stuff. Let me give you the definition of stupid. So we're all on the same page. Given to unintelligent decisions. Or acts. Acting in an unintelligent or careless manner. Marked by or resulting in unreasoned thinking or acting. Here's another one. So stupid implies slow-witted or a dazed state of mind that may be temporary. <laughs> now there's a reason why I'm saying all this. Have Christians ever done stupid stuff? We, we won't be giving any testimonies tonight about it. We're just <laughs> no need anybody pointing a finger to anybody else. What we're talking about is the reason why. You can't just say the devil came in and made me do it. He had to have something to work with. This has been the issue. And like I said, the thing I'm excited about is the Lord is pulling the mask off of this and showing us how it works. Can you see this? Showing us what's going on and showing us the enemy, his mode of operation and giving us the ability to... uh, change it he's preparing us and he's protecting us can you say amen say it out loud he's preparing me he's protecting me and I'm receiving it I'm believing it hallelujah stand on your feet everybody thank you Lord let's lift up our our hands and begin to thank the Lord for helping us thank him for looking out for us Lord we worship you come on just lift up your hands lift up your voices let him hear you say it Lord I worship you oh I worship you Lord I worship you nobody and nothing is more important to me than you
I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you, Lord. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. I thank you for helping me to wake up, helping me to be aware. Thank you for your grace, helping me to starve wrong desires and get free from things, anything that would give the enemy an advantage. Oh, hallelujah. Pray it out loud, Father God. Thank you for showing me. Any open doors, any things the enemy has used to gain an advantage over me, to deceive, to defraud, like he did with Eve. I thank you by your grace. I am not ignorant of Satan's devices. Thank you for the Holy Spirit helping me, strengthening me, guarding me, guiding me, causing me to be strong and overcome. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Just praise him some more. Lord, I worship you. I give you glory. I give you praises. I give you thanks, Lord. I give you praise, Lord. I give you thanks, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.